talking about the great disconnect, this idea of we've got to be careful not to disconnect from the things that we shouldn't disconnect from. We are called to be in the world, not of the world. So let's start this, and I'm going to, we, we have a bumpy lesson tonight. I don't know how much of it I'll get done. I think I have 17 pages, and I usually get through about eight, so uh, we'll save it for next time. But as Christians, we often talk about the world in terms of us versus them. I remember, and I'll be very, I'll tread so lightly on some of this stuff, but I remember uh, so many times as a youngster, it was almost this idea of stay away. You're going to be contaminated. You're, you'll get sucked into that. You'll be, and fine line here, there's some truth to that. But if everything we look at is us versus them, then we're kind of looking across this big chasm towards the them. Uh, we believe certain absolutes based on the word of God. Okay, there are certain things that, we, that are forever settled. We stand on those. And sometimes the world around us defies those beliefs. They don't agree with them. They don't, they don't like them. I'm not going to change on that. I'm going to stand on the forever settled word of God. If it takes me versus them, then so be it. I'll verse them because I have the word on my side. So I'm going to stand on that side. But the, I think sometimes if we don't be, if we're not careful, we stretch this a little much because the message of the gospel is that we are all sinners in need of a savior. And so really it may not be more us versus them. It's more, it becomes, it becomes just us, the human race. Everybody needs a savior. Everybody needs Jesus. And so our perspective on the world is rather us and them, not us versus them. I know this is simplistic and as we move along this, but let me, let me work through this for a moment. Let's, let's just break this down. Say that there are two kinds of people. Those who are skeptics and those who are thirsty. Okay, we're going to break people like that. The skeptics and the thirsty. Ephesians 4.18, see it on the screen. Uh, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. People cannot see certain things because they're in darkness or it's not illuminated to them. And we need to be careful in that because there's times, even of ourselves, we become skeptical of things. We're not too sure. We have doubts and questions. We need to understand that both skeptical people and thirsty people need the same gospel. They need Jesus Christ in their life. And so we often need to lay down our verbal swords and extend our loving hands and reach to them. It's usually not words, but actions that speak the loudest. You can debate all day long about certain things, but until there's a revelation from Jesus Christ, they're not going to get certain things. I'm not saying don't share the gospel. I'm not saying, but some things, folks, we get into these verbal bars about, uh, barbs about one something or another, and they're really unnecessary because that's not what the gospel is. The task of reaching, yes, the loss, it is very daunting. It can be scary. Sometimes, yes, even uncomfortable. And yes, we're afraid of rejection. We all fear being inadequate in living our life out 
living our lives for Jesus out in front of others, but that is what we're called to do. We're called to, yes, come out from among them and be separate. We understand those scriptures, but it also, Jesus came to die. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He got right down there with the sinners. Let's read 1 Corinthians 2, starting at verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, Paul said, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. He said, for I determined not to know anything among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but it was in the power, in the demonstration of the Spirit and power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It's not about coming up with wise and persuasive words to convince some hardened skeptic, but rather we show the love of Jesus and let the Spirit do the work. Let the love of God come alongside the skeptic and serve him and also uh, quench the thirst of those who are thirsty. It's about showing them the love and care of Jesus. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.27, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Everything in the kingdom is upside down. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. He's a servant of all, shall be leader. But on and on, everything is just flipped all around this place. And, then the, and the Bible talks about this. God chose the, the foolish things of the world. It's gonna shock the wise. When it's, when it's led by the Spirit. So we're talking then, this first portion of our lesson, we're going to talk about being like Jesus to the world. Being like Jesus and carrying the gospel to the world. To reach people of the world. And so let's look at simple things. And I've got, I think I've got three sets of threes. Brother Graham, I'm just up your alley here. Threes of threes. Uh, but the, the three things here, there's three characteristics I want to talk about first of a gospel-filled life or someone carrying the light of Jesus into the world. One of the characteristics that we should have, and I believe we do have as Christians, is the first one is called truth unexpected. What I mean by that is truth surprises the world. And the truth of a life transformed, the truth of your life turned around, your testimony what Jesus has done for you, there is no denying that. It's truth, they can see it, but they can't explain it and it's unexpected. Nothing can, on earth can cause the change that happened in you and my life except God did it. And so in that regard, this, this truth, we're showing our testimony. We're showing what Jesus has done for us to the world. We do have a unique life message. Talked about it last week. It's like a portrait that God paints in our, on our life and he frames it and hangs it on the wall for all the world to see. That's our individual and unique message to this world of Jesus did that in me and he can do the same in you. I've often said this, and, and I believe it with all that's within me, but you can argue about a lot of stuff, 
and you can tell me that this isn't right and that isn't right, but you cannot take my experience away from me. What I have encountered and what I have experienced in God, you can't take that away from me. You can say I'm crazy and that's fine. You may be partially right. It doesn't matter to me. I know what he's done in my life. And as I live that to others, at some point, there's people in this world that's going to say, you know what? He used to be like that, but he's no longer like that. Something has happened. Can there, is there any testimonies across this building that someone has looked at you and said, something has happened in your life. Something has changed in you and there's no denying it. And it's so unexpected that something like that can transpire. That message carries with it the truth of our lives. So don't ever, ever underestimate the power of that truth, the power of your testimony. The second thing, the second characteristic to, to, as we go into a world to reach the lost is this idea of love incomprehensible. As followers of Jesus, we have the kind of love that God has imparted to us. A love that the world just, they have, they can't understand it. I can't explain it. It's just beyond what we could even imagine or conjure up in our minds. This love of God. C.S. Lewis wrote a book, you may have heard of it, The Four Loves, and you've probably heard of these things. He, he mentioned, that he suggests there's four types of love. Affection, friendship, romance, and charity. And then the last one, charity, which we would say agape love, I think is how you pronounce it. We've heard of this, is that unconditional love. That love that comes from God, it's love we don't deserve. It's love that he loves us while we were yet sinners. It's that kind of love that I can't do anything to earn it. Just because I am, he loves me. It's that kind of love. And that charity or that agape love is the supernatural love that comes from God. It's the kind of love that just again confounds the world because we have lived in a society and some of us some uh, some in, in in cultures and families and all different things where everything has strings attached so you do this it's like okay what you do that for you were nice to me what do you need you said that so I'm waiting on the phone call. Oh, by the way, can you come help me move? I'm waiting on the view to drop. Something's going to give here. But that's not what an unconditional love is. Think of the word. There's no conditions. There's no strings attached. It's just you love because you love. That's the love that comes from God. A simple story. Grandpa was in this house and he... He heard his little grandbaby in the other room just screaming his little head off. Walks in there, little guy's in his playpen. Grandpa walks past. What's the matter? He's jumping up down with his little chubby hands up screaming. Out, Grandpa, out. Well, natural for Grandpa to reach down to the little guy and get him out of the playpen when the little baby's mama steps around the corner. Ah, 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 ah. Don't take him out of that playpen. He's been bad. He's in there because he's being punished. I told him to stop and he disobeyed. He's in there. So the grandpa was at a loss of what to do. Here was the problem. 
love versus the law. But love found a way. Grandpa hiked his leg and crawled in the playpen with the little boy. The gospel is about God crawling in to our mess when we couldn't get out of it. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That sacrifice of love for us becomes an example of what our sacrificial love should look like. He crawled into our mess. We need to crawl into other people's mess their dirt, their filth, their messed up situations, and be the arms and hands of Jesus to them. When, when your life message is put into action, it forces the world to wrestle down a profound question. What makes someone do something good for a complete stranger? There's no strings attached. Wait a minute. You're not asking for anything in return. Why are you doing this for me? You don't even have your cell phone out to take a selfie to post it. What are you doing this for? What can possibly explain the phenomenon of people helping others they don't even know? Doing good for somebody they have no clue who they are and they don't expect anything in return. That's unconditional love. When you show and share the love of Jesus to the world, there's no earthly explanation. Skeptics will see this love, realize it's incomprehensible, and they'll find a way to dismiss it usually. Well, they just want to act that way, or they're trying to do this or that. But thirsty people will see this love that's incomprehensible and will drink deeply of what you've given to them. We are to be the arms and hands of Jesus to the world. We are to show his love to them that he's shown to us. The third thing, the characteristic of a Christian life as we reach is grace unexplainable. Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man showeth, soweth that shall he also reap what the word says reaping what you sow it says you get what you deserve we've all sinned we've all done wrong things we all deserve future punishment then grace breaks through and stops it grace defies all logic it doesn't make any sense I deserved the punishment but grace came and stopped the punishment Many religions and people in the world, they will call it karma. Well, you got what you deserved. You hit him in the head. He's gonna, obviously, he's going to hit you in the head. That's karma. You got what you deserved. That concept, that makes sense to skeptics. That makes sense to people. Grace is a concept no one has an explanation for. How in the world or why in the world when I was going down this path and I deserved everything that's coming to me, the love and grace of God rescued me and brought me back and, and saved me from those hardships. 
Matthew 18, 21, then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. Till seven times? Verse 22, Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. <laughs> I, I, I can imagine their faces. Jesus just almost, I could just, you know, I put personalities to people, but Peter, you think you're just going above and over until seven times? No, I to just, I don't know, 70 times seven. Three million times three million. It doesn't matter, Peter, just always. Just keep on forgiving. I bet they kind of scratched their head because that level of grace doesn't make sense. It's craziness that I can do something and the grace of God will help me. And I can sin and mess up and the grace of God will rescue you. That situations in my life come and the grace of God will help me. Now again, that does that mean? Well, we're just free and go out and just do what you want. Don't let the flesh reign and rule. And Paul says, God forbid that we should use grace like that. That's not what grace is for. But thank God there is grace because none of us are perfect in the building and we need that grace that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And so as we look at grace, let's, 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 let's go down this road for a minute. I have three points about grace. Grace is a gift that heals the giver. By giving that comfort and by giving that, extending that grace and, and that forgiveness, we might say, it begins the healing process within, some, within our own life and our own heart. Because through grace, we, we know that whether or not someone deserves forgiveness is that, that's irrelevant to the point. We offer it because it's what we're supposed to do. And for our own sake, we have to risk extending that hand of forgiveness to those who have hurt us. I did years ago, I, I spoke out of a book called Toxic Emotions. Powerful book on and documented things of what happens to the physical body and what has happened to people when they hang on to unforgiveness. And it turns into bitterness. It wrecks your autoimmune system. There are people who literally have died and their face was just hardened and bitter because their heart was so bitter with what was on the inside because they had been hurt. It's a tough subject, folks. Because if we don't forgive, if we don't extend that grace, we become trapped in bitterness and resentment which might feel comfortable at first because I deserve to feel this way. Well, fine. But have you ever noticed people who are aggravated about something, they have to keep the rhetoric going? They can't just, well, I'm ticked at that, and boy, I'm just going to sit here and seethe. No, they keep the fire going, and they'll tell you about it, and then they'll tell them about it, and then they'll tell him about it, and then they'll come back and tell you about it again. Just rehashing it and rehashing it and rehashing it to keep it going, to keep it. This is why I deserve to be mad. This is why I deserve to be upset. This is why I deserve to feel this way. 
I got whether earth-shattering news or what you want to say, and you know this, you can't change the past. It happened, and I am terribly sorry, but I can't change it. You can't change the past. All you're doing is messing up the present. You're messing up your life because you won't let it go. Second thing we discover about grace is grace is a choice that changes others and changes us. Listen very closely how I say this because I'm a, you've heard me probably say this before. You can't change anybody but yourself. Which is absolute truth. But my reactions to people and as they work with that, it sometimes bounces and they do change. I didn't change them. They are changing because of my reactions towards them. So grace is one of those things that I can choose that affects, maybe I could say the word affects rather than changes, that affects others and it changes us. Luke six twenty seven. but I say unto you which hear, love your enemies. Why didn't it say punch him in the head? Oh, it gets better. Do good to them that hate you. Buy him flowers. Make a cake with an arsenic in it. What? The thought that counts. <laughs> okay. Verse 28, it gets better. Bless them that curse you. And it gets one more better. Pray for them which despitefully use you. Turning in my resignation tonight, there, this is, but I've turned my resignation in for being a Christian. That's what the Bible commands us to do. Here's what we have to understand. I cannot do that on my own. But I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This is a work of the Spirit. And I think sometimes people get fixated trying to do, well, the Bible says to do this. All right, I'll try my best. And you don't let the Spirit reign and rule in your life. Turn the things over to Jesus. He's going to help you. You know, these, these verses here, Luke 6, 27, 28, it's the opposite of what the world tells us to do. The world says that when you're hurt, get even. Jesus says that when you're hurt, bless them. Don't hurt them back. That's why this is called grace unexplainable. It makes no sense whatsoever. So we should do good to those who offend us. Bless those who speak ill of us and pray for those who mistreat us. None of that is easy. And praying for the people who offend us is probably one of the most difficult ones to do because it's the best measure maybe of seeing how much we truly have forgiven someone if we can truly pray for them. And the prayer is not, Lord, drop a bomb on their head. When you pray for those who hurt you, 
Try to let that prayer reach at least as deep as your hurt reaches. Reach as deep as the pain they inflicted. Ask God, because we understand the adage, and it's true, hurt people, they hurt people. Something's broken in the person who hurt you. Ask God to fix the brokenness in the person that hurt you. Ask God to slap their head. Ask God to help them. Yes, that's what the word says to do. Because as I begin to do that, I begin to release them to God. And I begin to let the spirit fix my heart and my hurt because I'm releasing them to Jesus. And you can't do this on your own. It takes Jesus to help us in these areas. We choose, we are to choose forgiveness. And that's a powerful statement. You choose this. I don't feel like it. Of course you don't. The flesh, you don't feel like forgiving somebody. You don't feel like being nice to somebody who hurt you. You don't feel any of that stuff. It's not about feeling. It's what does the word say and what is my thoughts about these? And then I produce the actions no matter what I feel. Because bitterness is a poison. Forgiveness is the only antidote. When you hold on to that hurt, it turns into hatred and seeps into other relationships and it taints them with the bitterness that grips your soul. It is a horrible, horrible poison. Let me pause for just a moment and say, this idea of extending grace and forgiveness is not saying it was no big deal. It is not saying it never happened and just, it's no big deal, I just forget about it. It's not stuffing emotion, it's nothing like that. Forgiveness is saying it absolutely happened. It absolutely was wrong. It absolutely hurt like crazy, but I'm going to release them to God and ask God to help them. That's what this is. Some people think, well, I'll never forgive them as long as I live. And what good is that? What does that even mean? I'm be in my house just stirring this up and just be furious and yeah, and you're suffering from ulcers and autoimmune deficiencies and you have problems and, and contract all kinds of diseases and they're out living their life. What good has it done? You really got them, didn't you? I know sitting here cognitively, like, oh, Brother Blaine, you're right, just make it. But I don't feel like it. Oh, I know you don't feel like it. But I promise it's the right thing to do. The Word knows what it's talking about giving it to God, letting his love saturate your heart and help you with these things. The third one on, on what we discover about grace is grace offers the world a true portrait of Jesus. Oh, this is a rough lesson. If we don't learn how to forgive like Jesus, we really can't be like Jesus. And that's hard. Jesus forgave us 70 times seven. Oh, at least I'm a mess. He's given me a whole lot of grace and mercy. Shouldn't I do the same to everybody else? When we grasp the power of grace, 
we start to paint a picture of Jesus to the world. When Jesus was crucified, there were two guys, you know the story, two men crucified with him. The Bible talks about these guys. It says thieves and rebels and, and bad men and criminals. And two other words let me use on this. One criminal was a skeptic and one criminal was thirsty. Luke 23, 39, and one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him saying, if you be the Christ, save yourself and us. The other side, he said, answering, rebuked him. Do you not fear God, seeing that you are in the same condemnation? And we deserve this. For we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee today, Thou shalt be with me in paradise. Jesus confounded the world. The people of his day didn't know what to do with him. He was amazing. He confounded the world through his forgiveness and through his love and through his grace. And we're called to be like him. How are you going to reach the world? Be like Jesus. That's how we're going to reach the world. He was loving. He was forgiving he went to them all right 13 minutes Ooh, never oh god i can't get this. speed reading here three more things you ready we had three six here's our third three more things three things that jesus is not we looked at things he was he was loving he was gentle he was he he was he offered grace and we need to be like that but let's put this in a different gear and you're going to clutch some pearls on this one. But here we go. Jesus was not nice, but he was astonishing. When asked to describe Jesus, most people, even many Christians would say, well, he's a nice guy. He, he, he's, he's a kind heavenly father. I've said those words before. He's good. Pictures from our Bible storybook think of him as, as gentle. Some might mean Jesus was pleasant. Those descriptions are not necessarily wrong, okay? But author Tin Hansel, he wrote this about Jesus. He said, Jesus was shocking, <laughs> astonishing, daring, revolutionary, but nice. Author goes on to say, no, it, it would surprise many to know that the Bible never describes him as nice. That doesn't mean Jesus wasn't nice, okay? Everybody, can everybody breathe? But nothing really about that word nice captures the essence of who Jesus was. For those who encountered Jesus on earth, it was like stepping into a path of a hurricane and something was going to give. Lives were going to be changed. He was a force to be reckoned with. This hurricane left in his wake. People shaking their heads, doing double takes. You've got to be kidding me. What did he just say? 
left people running home to their family and friends completely out of breath. You're not going to believe what he just did now. Defying the power of religious leaders, leaving them screaming and scratching their heads. Don't you dare talk to me like that. They considered him, the Pharisees and Sadducees, considered him a heretic, a, a usurper, a rabble rouser, an evil spirit, a demon. No one seemed to ever say, he's a nice guy that lives up the road. Everywhere he went, something was stirred up. In John 10, Jesus talking to the crowd about who he was. He was saying, hey, you know, I'm the sh my sheep and I'm the, uh, the gate and the wolves coming to harm the sheep and I'll lay down my life for the sheep. He's saying all that. Well, the answer, the response to all that was John 10, 19. There was division. Therefore, again, among the Jews for these sayings. Verse 20, and many of them said, he has a devil. He's insane. Why are we even listening to this madman? Sounds like skeptics to me. But on the other side, verse 21, others said, these are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? Kind of sounds like thirsty people to me. Neither skeptics nor the thirsty were anywhere close to calling Jesus nice. Either he was a raving lunatic or he was a miracle worker and a life changer. You wouldn't have thought, I don't think he was just a nice guy. Pontius Pilate, Roman governor who presided over Jesus' trial. Watch these three verses here. Luke 23, 4, then said Pilate to the chief priests and the people, I find no fault in this man. 23, 15, no, nor ye yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. 23, 22, he said unto them the third time, why, what evil hath he done? I found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. Pilate's like, I, you know, this guy, what in the world has got you guys all uh, just riled up about this? And the Jews clamored, crucify, crucify, crucify. Pilate kind of did the equivalent of, all right, fine, whatever, take him. I don't find any fault with the guy, but whatever. The Jews were demanding Jesus' execution because he was claiming to be the Messiah, the King of the Jews. They thought he was a liar. They thought he was a fraud. Pilate, on the other hand, looked at Jesus as just harmless, maybe. Maybe a little loony, but not guilty. Just kind of benign. Just... He's not hurt. You guys, he's one man and this whole crowd. Just let him go. Let him go do what he wants. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't want to read too much into this, but sometimes it seems like Pilate was trying to just, just let him go, guys. There's no fault with him. When people say that Jesus is nice, maybe it's a way to be dismissive. He's a big old Santa Claus. Oh, he's fine. He's harmless. You can believe it if you want, but he'll dole out a little grace. He's a big softy teddy bear. Our toughest challenge, I think, in reaching people won't be those who are passionately against him. Our biggest challenge comes from those who think Jesus is just a really nice guy. 
He truly is a hurricane who rips through lives and turns everything upside down, transforming the world. It's not the work of a nice guy. It's the work of an astonishing God that has come to change lives and not leave you where you are. I've said this so many times in counseling sessions, and hear me out because like, what's wrong with you? I would rather, if I have to counsel or I'm counseling a husband and wife, I would rather them come in fist fighting than apathetic. Because it's still there's enough love for them to be passionate that they hate each other that bad. There's still something there. But when people become apathetic, you guys want to save this marriage? I don't care. I don't know. Really, I don't care what she, whatever, whatever she wants, whatever she says anyway. I don't care. Just like, out. I don't have time for you people. Come back in when you're mad as a hornet. Then I'll work with you. So sometimes I think of those in terms of people who just rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> Jesus will bless you. Jesus loves you. Brother Brian, you preached a whole 750 sermons on that. I did, and I meant every word of it because he really does love us. But who he loves, he disciplines. Who he loves, he chastises. You'll get convicted. God's wanting to better you and not leave you where you are. So this idea and this concept that he is just some Papa God up there is dangerous and damaging. That's not who he is. He is a force to be reckoned with. He is a God who thunders from heaven and the mountains move. He's a God who loves us, who cares for us. I'm going to stop there because if I start this next one, I'm going to get about halfway through it. You're going to kick me out of this church. So we're going to have to clear it. <laughs> Start clean on this next because we're going to push envelopes. All right, let's all stand in the house. Don't you love Jesus? He loves us so much. He's not going to leave us where we are. He's going to help us. Anything in his word that he has, his, his, it's not grievous. It's not, these commandments are not hard. As long as you allow Jesus to reign and rule in your life, we can do all these things through Jesus Christ. And we can reach this world that's around us. Thank you, Lord, for the power of the gospel that has come into our lives and has changed us. Lord, you've called us out of darkness where we couldn't see, we couldn't find our way, but into this glorious light where you have illuminated so many things and we are so blessed and thankful for that. I pray that something I said, that the word that I've spoken tonight from, your, from the scriptures will get way down in our hearts, Jesus, and that will transform us and help us. Some heavy stuff and some hard stuff, but Lord, our goal is to be like you. We want to show the world who you truly are, and we want to do that correctly, Jesus, by offering the love that you offer, by offering the grace that you've given by extending help and mercy to those that are hurting and crawling down in the pit with them as you did for us and helping them, oh God. I pray that you'd give us wisdom, give us strength, help us to know the directions to take and what to do. I pray that you'd help us to walk through every open door that you placed before us. Give us a power, give us a boldness to do your work and to your will. I pray that you'd bless us this evening. Help us to have a wonderful day. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless each one of you.